Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We are going to do a long overdue episode on milk. I can't believe I'm this many years into the podcast and we have not done one yet. But last summer when I was at the God's Good Food event at Polyface Farm, there was a presentation about raw milk given by one of our guests today. And I thought, okay, it is time and I know just who to ask. We know that dairy was an integral part of the biblical diet in the form of milk, cheese, butter, and other fermented varieties. And we know that it came straight from the cow in all of its raw, full-fat glory. As I often like to say, God did not make cows with low-fat udders. And yet, what we get from the grocery store is a far cry from this nutritious, God-given food. So I'm delighted that we have our guests, the dynamic duo from Raw Milk and Deadlifts, Tommy Wheatley and Luke Kidwell. I love their background story. I love how they came to love raw milk and be examples and educators about it. And I love how they love the Lord. And so I'm so pleased to have them and that we get to talk about it today. Welcome, Tommy and Luke, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you so much. We are honored to be here. Good. Okay. So each of you talk and tell us who is who so we can just distinguish voices. So I'm Tommy. And I'm Luke. If we have to, one of us can do a ridiculous accent so you can really tell us. <laughs> well, maybe may, y'all kind of sound really quite similar, but it's, <laughs> that's all right. We'll 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 figure it out as we go along here. Why don't we start by having you tell us the story about how you guys got to be champions of raw milk. Yeah, so Tommy here. Really, we we have a very similar story. It it differs in a few areas, but Luke and I have been best friends since kindergarten. That's where we met and went to school all throughout our lives together. So we grew up very similarly in that we grew up in this with the standard American diet, right? And not particularly like crazy unhealthy. It's not like either one of us was being raised on fast food. We both both had lots of home uh, made meals and things like that, but all generic store-bought things. And a huge staple of our diet was store-bought milk. I know I grew up drinking 2% pasteurized milk from the grocery store and really didn't think anything of it. And then it was around uh, 
sophomore junior year of high school, I started having really bad gut problems. And that was kind of my first introduction into health. And around that time, we were also really into lifting and the gym. So we were kind of also getting into nutrition from that perspective. And one of the first trends we heard about was that dairy is bad for you and that it causes inflammation and it messes up your gut and it causes mucus and it can even cause acne, which of course was a huge deal in high school. So kind of around the same time, Luke and I started to cut out dairy. And frankly, we felt a lot better because we were getting rid of that processed dairy. Skin cleared up, gut issues cleared up, inflammation went down. So we were like, oh, yeah, we figured out the secret. Like dairy is the root of all evil in some ways. And we stayed dairy free for a number of years. And it wasn't until after high school, we were both working on farms, separate farms. Uh, I was working at a farm in Virginia. Luke was at a farm in Maine. And we both kind of just discovered raw milk from hearing people like online talk about it or reading about it and how it's like illegal, but it's also the superfood. I think it really just got our interest uh, more than anything. And we were curious to try it. So uh, I tried it down in Virginia, um, absolutely fell in love with it, had no of like no recurring problems that came back that I was used to with dairy. Luke was up in Maine, which is a very raw milk tolerant state from a legal perspective, meaning you can buy it off the shelves, which you can't in a lot of states and was having same the same kind of results. We noticed tremendous results in our workouts around that time. And that really just sent us down the the raw milk rabbit hole and we have not resurfaced yet and don't plan to. So that's, that's really what kind of kicked off the interest and passion and how we discovered it into our own lives. Oh, that's very cool. So you both went to work for farms after high school. That's so interesting. Is that, I mean, had you always had that interest or what was that No, about? so Tommy and I, we both, we grew up in West Virginia, but it was suburbia, you know, about an hour and a half from DC. And so we say West Virginia and people think farmland, but no, we were in, you know, in town and in neighborhoods, you know, subdivisions. And we kind of went there for kind of separate purposes. After high school, I was going to community college and just because that was the thing to do. Everyone told you to go to college and I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I just... I wanted a job that sounded fun and sounded like a real job. And I had stumbled across farming. I was like, you know, that sounds like a real job. Let me, let me go give that a try. And this farm in Maine was the first one to reply to all my applications. So I went up there. And so I didn't go up there with an intention of, oh, I'm going to go learn about regenerative agriculture. I'm going to learn about, you know, health and I'm going to go, you know, milk cows. I had no idea. I just thought it'd be a fun job. And the Lord just put me in Maine and I just, that's where I discovered raw milk. Like Tommy said, very legally raw milk friendly state. You can just buy it off the shelf. And as Tommy was telling our story about how he got into raw milk and how good we felt getting off of dairy, looking back, it's like probably wasn't feeling good. I was just feeling not crappy. Like I was in the store bought stuff and that felt good. But then when I discovered raw milk and started drinking that, that's when I actually started feeling good because of, you know, how nutritionally dense that food is. Yeah, that that's such that's a neat story. And just like you can just feel and see the Lord's hand in that, like, because look where you look what all it's led to now. I think that's really cool. Let's talk about then the the nutrition 
with raw milk and how that differs from the milk that we get at the grocery store. Just kind of in general, I, I think a lot of people really just are not aware that the milk they get from the grocery store, you know, is not as nutritious as it would be straight from the cow. To a lot of people, that's very appalling and scary. And what are you talking about? And of course, it has to be pasteurized and cleaned and that, 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 So let's just kind of dive into all of it and bust some myths and talk about the nutritional value, why it's, why it's healthy in comparison to what we get at the grocery store. Yeah, right. I feel like even the average American, right, would acknowledge that modern food, part of the way it is, is because of shelf life, right? I feel like everyone understands, oh, we have to process food so it can be on the shelf longer, you know? And, you know, we're not going to argue with that. Obviously, you know, all these foods, milk included, last longer on the grocery store shelf. And really the big thing is, well, there's it's a catch-22. You are sacrificing something with that milk when you want the shelf life. And obviously pasteurization is what makes milk be able to be on the shelf for as long as it is. And what you're sacrificing is everything that makes milk healthy in this superfood. You're destroying your body's, everything that's in the milk, you're destroying what makes your body able to process it. All the enzymes that are in it that help our bodies process milk are destroyed in uh, pasteurization. The vitamins, you know, vitamin A, D, K, zinc, all the beautiful stuff that's in milk is destroyed when it is uh, pasteurized. And, you know, that's sacrificing all that is what gives it that shelf life, you know. Um, And not only does it just inhibit your body's ability to process it, it makes it like actually difficult. Your body can't process it. And that's why so many people think they are lactose intolerant because they're drinking store-bought milk where the enzyme lactate that's always supposed to be paired with lactose, that lactate is essentially totally destroyed lactase lactase oh i'm sorry lactate is the (laughs) frankenstein milk that they made where they started putting lactase back into the milk luke Luke was accidentally doing a sponsorship for lactate (laughs) so lactase is that enzyme that's supposed to be paired with lactose so if lactase is not present then of course you can't process the lactose and that's why so many people say oh i can't drink milk oh it messes with my stomach so, yeah, because your body doesn't have the right tools to process it. That's why, I mean, we have endless oh, testimonies that people have given us where they say, oh, man, I couldn't drink milk until I started drinking raw milk, which is actually the same boat that Tommy and I were in. Yeah. And, you know, like Luke mentioned, it's it's really interesting. Take the enzymes even just alone. One of the first ones we always talk about when we explain them to people is lactase because everyone has heard of someone who's lactose intolerant, or a lot of people are. So they can really kind of grasp, oh, this is an enzyme. It's in raw milk. This is its function, right? To help break down those uh, milk sugars, which is the lactose. But there's so many more enzymes also in raw milk that are present, really to help you digest and break down every like macro and micronutrient. There's a, an enzyme called lipase, which is to help digest the fat that's in the milk. There's uh, an enzyme called phosphatase, which is to help absorb calcium, right? Everyone thinks milk and calcium, but there's an enzyme that is actually designed to help us and our bodies absorb it. There's an enzyme protease for protein. The list goes on. There's even antimicrobial enzymes to help 
defend the milk against harmful pathogens. And we can talk more about that later because people are so afraid of, isn't it dangerous? Well, there's actually protective enzymes in it. And yeah, all of the enzymes, 100% of them get destroyed during pasteurization. And then there's kind of a sliding scale on the vitamins and nutrients on depending on the degree of pasteurization on how much they're damaged. They're not always completely gone. For example, even store-bought milk sometimes will have vitamins and stuff still intact, although most of the time they will add them back in. But certainly pretty much every main nutrient is at a very minimum damaged, usually damaged severely. And yeah, in the case of the enzymes and the healthy bacteria completely destroyed. And yeah, you really, it's funny when you look at a list on paper of what's in raw milk between the enzymes, the bacteria, the vitamins, the nutrients, magnesium, zinc, all these things, you could replace your supplement shelf with a good clean source of raw milk and in a bioavailable form, right? A way that's probably way easier to digest than supplements. So, so many nutrients. Yeah. So, so many good things, but that's just a brief intro on kind of what you're looking at as far as the nutrients that raw milk has. What is the, I mean, what is the pasteurization process? What are they doing to it that is destroying these enzymes and, um, you know, compromising the nutritional profile? So essentially what they're doing is just cooking it. They heat the milk. They, the modern way people get their milk is a milk truck drives to dairy farms, you know, all across the country, all across the country. And all the milk that the farmer milks that morning gets put into one big tank truck. So you're having, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of cows milk into one big vat in this milk truck. Now, the farmer isn't doing the, the pasteurizing. He is milking. He has a big tank, puts it in the tanker truck. The truck dries off. So while it's in that trucker truck tank, it is raw is what it is. They bring it to a processing center and there's different degrees of pasteurization, as Tommy kind of alluded to. And it's just heating up that milk at different temperatures for different amounts of time. And I think there's there's several pasteurizations. This I think the lowest one is called vat pasteurization. Yeah, I believe. Then there's like flash pasteurized. Flash pasteurized, and a lot of people who want to sell raw milk but can't legally, they'll do what that pasteurization, which is the lowest one, and then kind of market that as like, hey, this is like the closest thing you get to raw milk that's still pasteurized. And then on the far other end, there's ultra pasteurized, which is I don't remember the exact temperatures. It's high, close to boiling, if I'm if not mistaken. And it can be for 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes. And that's just the processing center try to kill everything in that milk to make it, quote unquote, safe. Yeah, and the, the standard like pasteurization process is 161 degrees for, I believe standard pasteurization is about 15 seconds. It's, it's pretty, but it's enough to keep it at that when you keep it at that temperature for that long it's enough to do all that damage and then yeah of course they they do more of that and you see ultra pasteurized more and more common these days but uh, yeah that's the process that is hurting everything or killing everything 
Yeah, you see that ultra pasteurized and you think, oh, like they make it sound like it's a bonus. (laughs) 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 This is ultra. Yeah, so I would think that's the one you might stay away from the most, actually. It was probably the most denatured if it was ultra pasteurized. For sure. Yeah, my husband is one of the, like, one of the very many people that you describe and have gotten testimonials from as far as. I mean, if, if I bring milk from the store, you know, and he drinks it, it will tear him up. I mm. mean, mm-mm, mm-mm. but raw milk, he has no problem. And that is just, it's amazing to me. It's just like a, like a living testimony right in front of you. Like that is, cause I see, you know, like how it, how it hurts him otherwise. And it is so that it's such a big difference. And so I hope everybody hears that a lot of people who do think they're lactose intolerant, could very likely tolerate raw milk. So, you know, you said that some of the vitamins, some of the nutrients stay intact and that maybe some are more compromised than others. Do they fortify milk like they do like orange juice and other things like that? Fortify as far as like putting with vitamins and minerals, like putting stuff back into it. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I know for sure adding vitamin D back into milk is very common because you'll, you'll actually see that on the ingredients sometimes in store-bought milk is a vitamin D added back into it. Right. And then what Tommy kind of alluded to earlier is the bioavailability of that. So if it doesn't have all the enzymes and other things paired with it, if you just kind of throw a vitamin D back in there, and I think even sometimes it could be like synthetic vitamin D. Mm. So it's technically in the milk, but if your body can't process it, essentially just goes in and out of your body without your body ever absorbing it. I know that's a big thing in the supplement industry mm. is people that go to the store and they'll buy these different vitamins and protein powders is another big one where, yes, technically it is in that product. So you think, okay, good. I'm getting this product. I'm getting all these vitamins and minerals. But if it doesn't have the correct you know, amino acids or pairing vitamins and minerals or enzymes or whatever it may be, it just goes right through your body without ever being absorbed. And then you're spending all this money on the supplements. And it's essentially not doing a darn thing for you. Yeah. And you, you also see, I think we mentioned earlier, they'll do that sometimes with the enzymes as well, mainly lactase, where at times they will add that one back in. And then you kind of just get into that whole argument of, okay, theoretically, let's even say on paper, as far as a nutritional label is, yes, maybe they're putting back in some of these nutrients. That's where you just get into the whole debate of, okay, but do we really believe that is superior to the way God had it initially, right? And do we really believe our bodies don't tell a difference between synthetically or artificially added in vitamins or enzymes compared to what was there? So it's you see similar things in like the nut milks, right? A lot of them will put vitamins in almond milk and stuff. So people will say, oh, well, I still get it. You know, I still get all the vitamins and stuff that you get from your milk with my dairy-free alternative. But it, it's just, it's really not the same. You're, you are puzzling food together, which is not supposed to happen. And I, I do think there's more science coming out to show that the body can tell a difference and it doesn't react as well. But it's also just kind of an intuitive thing, really, or should be, that it, it just does not feel right when you have to add all these pieces back in. Yeah, a very interesting thing I read recently. I was reading Will Harris's new book. He is the fellow that owns White Oak Pastures, which is a very popular farm that people like to get their their meat from. And he was saying 
there was a study, I believe it was, he's in Georgia, so it would have been the University of Georgia that he was reading this study from. And they took salt water. And they had a tank of salt water. They had fish living in it. They took the fish out, put it in a separate tank. And then they took apart that salt water, everything that was in it. All they did was like remove everything and kind of have it on its own. They didn't do anything to it and just put it back together. So that was all the study was, was removing what makes up salt water, removing each individual component, and then putting it back together. Then they put the fish back in it, and the fish couldn't live in it. So they didn't do anything to salt water. They just took it apart, put it back together. But there was something in the original state of that salt water that they couldn't identify, they couldn't really make sense of, but the fish, it was inhabitable to the fish. They would just die in the salt water. And, you know, he's not a Christian man, but he's very, you know, kind of new agey, spiritual, whatever. But even he was saying, he's like, look, there's nature or God intended this to be a certain way. Man messed with it just a little bit and it would kill the fish. And it's like, so if that, even that small process of salt water would harm fish, what would that cause in human bodies doing that to all of our food? Yeah, that is so fascinating. And it is so true. Yeah, what's missing is that the God touch, the God's God's word who made it. Right. There is just man cannot make food or drink the way that God did, because there's just that complement of vitamins and minerals and enzymes, just all of these things that work together that we can never like, I like the way that you put that try to puzzle back together. We just, we're never going to be able to achieve it that way. And so that is so true in the case of the milk as well. I, so you guys kind of got interested in as far as about that for a minute, because, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are interested in, you know, building, gaining muscle, and they're interested in protein powders. And we talk about all these things. I mean, do you, how do you use milk do you use it strategically or do you just drink it like i just drink it and i lift weights and that's that's my mojo (laughs) yeah i would say anytime you know anyone wants to attribute like more thought and reason into what we do is there you know it's not the best idea we just we just drink it drink all the time drink it at you know with most meals and just kind of you know the results just kind of are are evident in how we feel you know It, it it definitely does make a great um really pre or post workout. Uh, The reason like for it makes a great pre workout is because it is so nutrient dense, but so easy to consume. And you don't feel like heavy or lethargic when you consume it, right? So that makes it kind of perfect as a, a lighter feeling, but extremely nutritious food before maybe you perform, but then there's nothing more satisfying than having a glass of raw milk or a quart or a half gallon (laughs) after you train, especially if you get into like, you know, we love the raw chocolate milk, which is extremely simple. The way we make it is the raw milk, raw cacao powder, and then honey or maple syrup. And like, that's it. And that's better than any protein shake for sure. And uh, yeah, so we, I think before workout, uh, after workout, it's sometimes, possibly even during the workout, <laughs> we've we've consumed it. But uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of a part of the our everyday intake, really. So y'all, y'all, do you live you live on a farm and work on a farm? Yeah, and uh, me, Luke, me and my wife have a dairy cow, 
And so we have our own milk right now. She's, she's pregnant, so we're not milking her. But once she has her calf just here in the next couple of weeks, you get, you know, we get a few gallons a day. So there's plenty to go around. Right now we're buying it from a friend who, who sells it. And it feels really strange having to ration our raw milk. Cause we, I think we get like a <laughs> gallon and a half a week. So we're like, okay, you know, we'll just have a glass here or there, you know, maybe put in the coffee or something. But as soon as that calf comes and it's like, Hey, we have to drink this gallon by the end of the day. Cause we're getting three more tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. I guess. Then, so when you have your, how much do you regularly get? You, you milk it, you have to milk your cow every day. And does she, I mean, does, does she just naturally keep producing milk? Oh yeah. Big time. We, uh, we have, so we just have the one dairy cow and we just milk once a day because we do what's called calf sharing. So a lot of places they'll separate the mom from the calf very early on and then just milk twice a day and you get all the milk from the cow. The calf sharing is a process where you separate them at night and then in the morning you milk her and then you give the cow back to the calf and the calf drinks for the rest of the day. And that gives you a little bit of flexibility where it's not twice a day, every day, you know, or say on Sundays you want to sleep in, you go, you know, let the calf hang out for the, hang out with its mama for the night for the whole day and it'll drink all the milk. So you don't have to worry about, you know, your cow getting sick cause you're not milking it. And she is a Jersey, which is very common, you know, homestead cow breed. And we'll get, you know, two to three gallons in the morning when we milk her. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. So I know somebody's going to be thinking this, like oh, they're taking milk away from the baby <laughs> cow, but that mama makes plenty. I imagine. Oh yeah. For sure. And yeah, and they're even smart enough to hold back some for the calf. So you're milking her and you can feel her udder and know she has milk in there. But you can squeeze all you want. You're not getting anything because she knows she has to give some to that calf. And that calf, I mean, I don't even know how many gallons a day. It could drink five, oh, ten, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever's in there, that calf will drink. And a lot of times when they show up to milking, sometimes one or two of the quarters are, are already empty. Because a lot of times the calf will kind of favor a couple teats. So it's like, you can tell, oh, the calf's had, you know, it's breakfast. And then throughout the day, it'll have more. But yeah. And when they, they first have the calf for my, is it, is it the first week they have a colostrum or yeah, about the first week. So that you usually leave that for the calf. If you, you know, the colostrum that's in the milk, obviously super important to the beginning of a life. So, so for people who don't know that colostrum, it's the milk that the cow produces the first week that the calf is born. And it's just like ultra nutrient dense. Yeah. So much so that like you don't even really want to take that because you want your calf to have that to ensure that they're healthy and going to grow. And I believe all species produce colostrum. Yeah. And so, you know, at least with the farms we've worked at and the way we've done things, we've never taken the colostrum from calves, which is probably the most important thing. So we're not, we're not, we're not trying to be too cruel to the little fellas. <laughs> oh gosh. That's, well, that's really neat. So my, my husband is a, a cattle rancher. And so we have, we raise grass fed beef at the ranch and I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, I want, I want a cow so bad. I want a dairy cow so bad. I'm like, honey, come on. We got the ranch. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, right, we got right. the land. That's, that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. 
he's like, are you going to come milk it every day? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Probably not. We don't, we used to live at the ranch, but now we live in town, quote unquote town. You know, it's not very big, but I said, no, I'm, I'm probably not. And he's like, well, I'm not either. I'm not adding another thing to my plate. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, man, maybe one day, but we don't, Uh but not yet, but that's amazing. So aren't Jersey cows mean? Did I make that up? Or aren't they typically? Yeah. Are they mean? Oh no, they are, they're, since they're the most, I mean, there is a reason they're the most common, you know, homestead breed because, I mean, they're, they're part nice. of the family. Oh, yeah. They come right up to you to milk and you can go out in the pasture and pet them. Yeah. they're Now, now Jersey Bulls, I've heard they mm. can get kind of feisty for sure, which is weird that it would only pertain to the males. But I definitely heard Jersey Bulls can, can be problematic for people. But you don't want to milk them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. Okay. And so speaking of baby cows, what about people that are like, milk is only for baby cows and milk should not be for humans. We should not be drinking the milk of another species. I mean, what are your thoughts and, or how do you explain that to people? Well, one of the things Tommy and I always point to, and we post on Instagram about a few times, Every species wants to drink that cow's milk. You know, you give it to a dog, they lose their mind. Cats love it. Chickens love it. Pigs love it. If they could figure out how to milk it, they certainly would. And I know Tommy always jokes about, like for us, you know, lifting weights and trying to get big and strong. It's like, well, look what that milk does to like this little bitty calf. It can turn it into, you know, like a 1,200 pound steer. You know, it's like, I want to drink whatever that guy's having. Yeah. And also you, you have to think... We're the only species that does a lot of things, right? And it does not necessarily make it bad at all. We're the only species that cooks any of our food. We probably cook our food too much and, you know, cook way too many things. But if you're operating with that logic, you'd have to eat everything raw. We're the only species that wears clothes. We're the only species that communicates the way we do. Drive cars, fly planes. (laughs) So, you know, just because we're the only species that is able to milk another mammal and in the way that we do uh that's really just an interesting fact at the end of the day that doesn't prove anything biologically that we're not supposed to um i think what proves biologically that it's definitely a food humans thrive on is how really it's one of the first parts of modern agriculture that people figured out was how to have these domestic dairy breeds whether it was sheep or goats or whatever certainly People were doing that before mass producing grains and things like that. I mean, you even look at kind of like nomadic people who maybe didn't, you know, stay in one place and farm all the time, but traveled and moved. They would have never dreamed of having a garden, but a lot of them had dairy animals that traveled with them. And like you mentioned, you see it in the Bible really pretty close to the beginning of time, right? In the Old Testament refers to dairy products being consumed so there's a much better case we feel that it is a pillar of a human diet the way we're supposed to eat um then it's like this foreign thing that our bodies can't handle because we're not baby cows that just seems silly yeah and a lot of people that'd be quick to say that oh we're the only species that drinks another animal's milk you know i'm not gonna do that so yeah then you better cut out all the corn in your diet because we're the only species that eats corn grown in thousands, thousands of acres. Same thing with soybeans or or even a lot of vegetables, you know, the way they're grown in thousands of acres. We're the only species that does that too. So you'd have to cut that out before I cut milk out. 
Yeah. Touche. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Okay. So you talked about, you know, how it builds an animal up. And then we're talking about like as far as workouts and building us up. One thing I know that some people might worry about is it will it make me fat to drink milk (laughs) sitting around drinking all this milk am I going to get am I going to get fat is it going to build me up too much so what do you what do you think about that yeah what we always tell people is you know for the purposes we used it for and like we talk about how it builds muscle and all this stuff we are really pushing the issue because we're, we're drinking way more than most people probably would casually drink, right? I mean, I jokingly said to drink a half gallon after a workout, but there's absolutely been days where that's happened, you know? Um, so drinking raw milk in a typical fashion that you would just normally drink milk, you're most likely not going to balloon up at all from the milk um, at all. And yeah, it, it was a very kind of intentional, pointed, specific goal that we use it or and have used it for as far as putting on mass or building muscle certainly was not something that happened accidentally mm-hmm. that, that, that would be almost nice for us if we could drink a little bit of milk and casually build muscle so effortlessly but we we really had to be very intentional about it so that's not something we've ever encountered with all the people we've talked to of like oh i started drinking milk but then i i threw on all this you know unwanted weight and things like that is yeah it's just like a tool just like any other food you know most people are just gonna you know say put it in their coffee or maybe make some butter out of the cream maybe make some yogurt and you have you know milk in your coffee in the morning and then you know a little bit of yogurt at lunch it's not like that's gonna you know blow you up and you're gonna be this big you know bodybuilder looking guy by any stretch of the imagination yeah, I, it's not that easy to put on muscle. I, you know, you laugh, especially like when we're talking with women and they're so worried that, you know, when, if they work out with weights and stuff, they're going to become all bulky and get all, I'm like, listen, sister, it is not that easy to put on right. muscle. So <laughs> yes. Don't worry. You got, you do have to work at it and be somewhat strategic. Okay. Let's circle back to, you know, the people that are like, you know, worried and are scared about raw milk like is it safe to drink i you know i that makes me nervous to to think about that am i going to get some kind of bacteria and you know have like diarrhea for days and days right right yeah super common concern of people Uh, a lot of that comes from just bad press that raw milk has gotten completely unjustifiably so but the main things to understand that we tell people first of all is if it's a healthy cow the product that's going to come from it is going to be healthy so that's why it is important to know where it comes from how does it live what does it eat is it inside in a nasty barn all day or is the cow out on pasture um you know so those are very uh important questions also I think what's really fun is to understand that the very things that might scare people about milk, that the fact that it has these living enzymes in it and whatnot, that's actually what should give us comfort. Because like we mentioned earlier, there is enzymes that that's literally its job is to defend the milk from harmful pathogens or, you know, quote unquote, bad germs, uh, to put it simply. And if you have a healthy cow 
where you know that all of those enzymes are going to be active and doing its job, you really don't have much to worry about. And that's because we, we just have like data on our side that there is not people dropping dead and getting sick from consuming raw milk, especially not the way that the you know mainstream media outlets and whatnot would have you believe. I think Weston A. Price has like the running statistic. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I think like since the 60s or whatnot, there's been zero reported deaths that had anything to do with raw milk. And I think, yeah, more people die from like spinach than have ever died from raw dairy. So it's really not this dangerous food as long as it comes from a clean source. And of course, just understanding kind of how to properly care for it. And that is more so just to make your consuming of it more pleasurable. What I mean is to understand that you do want to refrigerate it responsibly and make sure it's getting refrigerated uh, quickly, not because it's going to spoil because raw milk really, it does not spoil. It does not go rancid. It starts to sour though, and it will start to ferment, which is there's still lots of uses for that. But if you're not used to that and maybe you leave it sitting out too long, you might be drinking some slightly fermented milk which actually is probably extremely healthy for you, but it might be a shock to your system. And then you might have a little, you know, tough love where you're going through an (laughs) uncomfortable healing response that you don't want. So just, yeah, to to avoid accidentally like drinking kefir, pretty much (laughs) make sure that it is refrigerated and refrigerated quickly. And, or if you are going to have it soured and you haven't done that before in the form of like yogurt or kefir, just, just do it wisely and incrementally go at it from that perspective. And I think if you look at it from the farmer's perspective, you know, a vast, vast majority of raw milk producers are very small scale farmers who have, you know, maybe a couple of cows and say they're responsible with it. Someone gets sick and that word gets out. That's the end of that guy's business because they can point the finger and say, that's where I got the milk. They can pinpoint it exactly. And He's, you know, that farmer's done with their dream of, of milking cows and selling milk. Whereas, I mean, people go to Chipotle all the time. People go to the grocery store all the time. And, and you know, you'll see on the news sometimes these E. coli outbreaks. And they do a quote-unquote investigation. They trace back where that, you know, lettuce or spinach or whatever it was came from. And the that big massive farm is protected by, you know, big major corporations. And they go... Yeah, we did investigation. Looks like we did everything we were supposed to do. It was just some sort of freak accident. And then that's it. That's the end. No one gets in trouble. No one pays any fine. That was it. But on the other hand, if that happened with the small farmer, he's done. His business is over. Mm. So the farmer has a major incentive to make sure that milk is as clean and safe as possible. That's a great point. How long does, you may not know this since you like to chug it by the um, quarter half gallon, but how long would it reasonably last in the fridge like before it starts um, souring I feel like, like a gallon usually, of milk? Like a week is, is is totally safe and fine. You start getting to like 10, 14 days, you can start to smell the, again, it's fermenting. So it's not like, oh, if I drink this milk, I'm going to, I'm going to get really sick. It's just not going to have as pleasurable as a taste as fresh. And now there is still uses. I know a lot of people, they use that slightly sour tasting milk for banana bread because I hear it's it's great for baking. I'm not much of a baker, but I've had people tell me that. 
Hmm. That's interesting. Um, well, you know, you think like in biblical times, they didn't have refrigeration. And so exactly, they, yeah. you know, what I read is that they, and they mostly drank goat milk, probably sheep milk, and they stored in these goat skins and like wait for it to purposely ferment. And then they mm-hmm. would drink it and woo, I bet that's some kind of ripe tart taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably an absolute superfood, but you know, it's for the brave Absolutely. souls out there. Yeah. You'll, you'll have visions if you drink that. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's a, I'm sure they, you know, they had the taste for it cause that's what was normal today. It would be right. maybe a, a bit of a shock to our taste buds, but super oh good gosh, for you. Yeah. yeah they hadn't uh, been, you know, their taste buds haven't been poisoned by breakfast cereals and, and exactly. milkshakes and all of that. Yeah, exactly. I love getting the cream off. I mean, if you've never had like cream uh, from real raw milk, it is just divine. I could just oh, eat yeah. it by the spoonful. It's so good. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yummy. So, do you, I don't. You probably maybe not know this off the top of your head, but or maybe a percentage or just kind of a some kind of breakdown of what in the United States, you know, like about how many states a raw milk is lawful or against the law do you have an idea of that breakdown like how many states do allow the sale of raw milk yeah it's funny you mentioned that i think i might have mentioned that in the talk at polyface and i'm actually referring to an instagram post we made about it to remember the exact states and whatnot so this was a few months ago but as a few months ago it's really It was only truly illegal in Hawaii, Nevada, Rhode Island, D.C., and Louisiana. And, I mean, you know, even regulations and things like that fluctuate. But as of a few months ago, those are the only states it was, like, truly illegal in. And that's something we are kind of always try to make a point about because I think there is such – well, I mean, there's obviously such a narrative around raw milk that it's illegal and you can't buy it anywhere or whatnot. Really, though – I feel like that kind of hurts like the raw milk's, you know, reputation because there is so many people who will never try it because they heard from someone that it's illegal. When in reality, in most states, it's just restricted on a varying scale. And don't get me wrong, there's regulations and there's loopholes that you have to go through and they're not fun and it's ridiculous that they're there. But an example of milk being truly illegal is in Canada. I don't remember if it's where whatever province Ontario is. In. Yeah, yeah. However Canada works. There was a <laughs> law that even if you had your cow, it was unlawful for you to consume the raw milk from your own cow. So that's an example of something being truly illegal at like the nth degree. And fortunately, even though it's still too bad we have to do loopholes, most states aren't like that. Most states, the loopholes are relatively convenient, right? Whether it's a herd share, which is a common one, where in some states it's not legal to purchase raw milk itself, but you can purchase the ownership of a cow or of a herd, and that's how you can get it. So there's a legal way still to get raw milk. Or, of course, a very common loophole is it's not legal to be sold for human consumption, but they can slap a sticker on it and sell it as pet milk. Again, silly but at least there's a legal way that you can get your milk so yeah even and and it's funny we've made a post about that and stuff and even a bunch of people who are in states where it is technically legal or at least to some degree there's a legal loophole to get it a lot of people still are unconvinced like no i can't find it near me because it's illegal 
And I really think that's actually very counterproductive to like the movement of trying to get raw milk out there is we have to be careful sometimes with the terms we throw out there and just constantly reinforcing to the masses that it's illegal when it's really not truly illegal. That makes it hard. I think if we start saying it's overly regulated, it's more productive because then we could be like, okay, what are the regulations? What can change? Right. All that type of stuff. Mm, that's a good point. Um, that is a good point. Yeah. We, there was a, a, a lady that used to live near me and she would bring in raw milk and put it in a fridge and put it, you know, this is for pet milk. I'm like, all right, I'm picking up my pet milk. And uh-huh. that's uh, right. yeah, and that's the way, but she, she moved away. So my, my source dried up, unfortunately, but Ooh, I know one tough. thing I was going to ask you people, how worried or concerned or how much should we pay attention to milk that comes from cattle that are grass fed versus grain fed? Is that, make as much maybe of a difference in the milk as it does if is in the meat yeah i think personally you know grass-fed is ideal right and the dairy cow that me and my wife have we actually use grain as a treat to, you know to bring her into the milking station but we we search high and low for like the highest quality grain that's uh, you know 100 organic no soy no corn like the grain matters. Grain, you know, a cow eating that grain, you know, once a day when it's getting milked is very different than a dairy cow whose diet is almost entirely dependent on cheap GMO grain, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So it's, it's yes, it does matter. And, you know, our cow is like 99% grass fed because she spends all day getting rotated on pasture and during the winter she has some hay. And a lot of times we mix in alfalfa pellets into the grain. So it's like half grass, half grain, you know? So it's like that term, again, that's one of those terms kind of thrown out there, but there's like varying degrees of Mm -hmm. it. And we use the grain because her body, when the cow is producing so much milk, so much of her nutrients is getting pumped into that milk and her, you know, her body will sacrifice for it if not. And we bought her and she was already, you know, being used in that manner with the grain. So we didn't want to cut her off, you know, cold turkey and then have her her body and her health deteriorate for that. And there's ways to wean them off, you know, slowly. If you've got a good source of nutrient-dense, organic, no corn, no soy, no spray, no nothing in the grain, that's a far cry from the conventionally fed dairy cow. Yeah, there. I wish I could remember the specifics now. I can't, but I, I was reading something that where they kind of tracked, I think it was the enzyme count in raw milk, depending on how it was fed. I believe, I could be wrong, I think it might have mentioned it in, there's a book called The Untold Story of Milk. I think it might have been in there, but anyway. And yeah, it was definitely a cow that was able to year-round, so obviously this would be like, you know, more southern climates, year-round beyond pasture with a variety of different grasses and foliage and things like that. Its enzyme counts were higher, and then a cow that was still completely grass-fed but had like hay for supplementing grain or just during the winters was a little lower. And then I'm pretty sure a cow that was fed a considerable amount of grain instead of grass was lower. But yeah, it is kind of a sliding scale. And even if they are fed grain at milking time, which is going to be very common, but even outside of milking, yeah, if 
if it's not like glyphosate sprayed grain and that's like the way you can get your milk, I feel like it, it, because it's that sliding scale, it's, it's still worth getting it. Uh, I, I would not tell someone not to try it just because they're fed X amount of grain sometimes. Well, well and an example of this was when I was back home in West Virginia for a little bit, I found a, a fellow who's doing a herd share selling raw milk and grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I was like, oh, cool. And I went and checked out his farm. I called him up. He said, yeah, man, come on by. And, you know, God bless this guy who's making his dream happen of being a farmer. But I went there, and it was a very, very small acreage, so he couldn't really, ha- you know, rotate, rotationally graze or anything like that. So all year, you know, 12 months out of the year, the cows were just eating hay, which, you know, is great, better than, you know, cheap grain. There's absolutely, absolutely a difference in his product because his cows are never getting this, you know, lush green, diverse grass diet. But he did it so he could have that label of grass-fed, grass-finished. And when it's just eating hay all year round, like the grass-fed beef, it what it had that stigma of being tough because it's never mm-hmm. getting these alive, living grasses that are just, you know, all the nutrients that are in fresh grass is a lot different than round bales of hay. Like I said. 100% support the guy. He's been, you know, he's a farmer, which is a full-time farmer, which is a very hard thing to pull off. But that is very different than, say, like a polyface or a white oak pastures where, I mean, they're getting three, four, three or four foot tall, lush green, diverse grass, all kinds of different grasses in there. Whereas this guy was feeding out round bales of just the one same type of grass. So it's, it is, like we said, it's a very sliding scale. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference. But, you know, I would even... I would even say if somebody can get raw milk, even from a cow that was grass-fed, I mean, not grass-fed, it's going to be better than getting pasteurized milk from the grocery store. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Big time. So you're, I mean, sure. it's like, if you're always trying to get the best product, yeah, go along that journey of, you know, starting out with that and then working your way to this and then that, you know, trying to get the better product. But like, if you're drinking store-bought milk and you're like, well, I don't know, this guy has raw milk and he feeds some grain. It's like, please, please buy that person's yeah. milk and, and see the difference for yourself. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Okay, so how does somebody find raw milk? I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. What's the best way for them to find raw milk in their area? One of the most popular resources we give to people is called realmilk.com. That was a website founded by the Weston A. Price Foundation. And it's just a raw milk directory. So you put in, these farmers will sign up. So they're on the website. You put in your zip code and it'll show you the closest raw milk producers in your area. That's, you know, the best way to do it. You can go to farmer's markets and ask around and because farmers are bound to know someone who does it. But for someone who's, you know, totally coming out of the blue, realmilk.com is a fantastic resource. Yeah, that's good. Even then, though, I'm going to say from experience, it can be difficult. And I live in really more ranching, well, farm and ranching country. We're more ranchy where I where I live. But I am having trouble right now finding a source of raw milk. There's, you know, one place about 90 miles away that delivers <laughs> oh every gosh. other mo- every other Monday. But I mean, I, I, I got to work. I can't get there yeah. on Monday. Uh-huh. And, and then there's a herd share that's somewhat you know, would be reasonable for me to get to and be a part of, but they're full. Right. And I, th- I think that is a testament to the fact that, you know, this is becoming more well-known and popular and people want this, people want raw, raw milk. And so I think it's just going to be a matter of 
we really need more producers, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like uh, you do need that cow, Chelsea. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Right. Okay. Now this question is probably going to make you totally cringy, but if we can't get raw milk, what, what's the next best choice? Like what does somebody do? Mm. Well, I guess like kind of what we said earlier, because a lot of times in the stores or, you know, there's a lot of local farm stores where they'll have that low pasteurized milk that we had talked about. And I think you've seen like that pasteurized is the term for that lowest one. And you'll see they'll still, they won't homogenize it because you don't have to do that. So it'll have, you know, the cream line on it. And if it's that pasteurized, it's like, that is, again, that's a great alternative to the store-bought stuff. And I've seen in most of those little local hometown farm stores, they'll have that option at least. Yeah, that's something we haven't really talked on much on the podcast. But yeah, like homogenization, obviously that's a process where it pretty much breaks up the fat globules in the milk so the cream does not separate. And you can have pasteurized milk that is not homogenized, which is going to be better because at least the fat is still in its natural state and going to be easier to break down. So yeah, you'll see creamline milk a lot of times. They'll sell it as, I think even like that's what Polyface has to sell because Virginia, you know, you you have to do a herd share. You can't sell it. So like they have creamline milk in their store. So yeah, if you can find some good creamline milk, that's good. If you can't, yeah, then uh, you're kind of you're kind of getting to the point where it might not be worth it. You yeah, know? if you're in a total food desert and you've got no options, I mean, guess whole milk from the store is better than you know this yeah. skim milk one percent two percent. You know what? Really, you could do, and a lot of people do, is might really be worth looking into getting or making your own kefir with pasteurized milk, because that is kind of like the one saving grace to where because of that fermenting process, naturally a lot of those bacterias and things like that, I mean, they, they start to grow, right? So you, you are kind of rebirthing them. Um, now you have to have a kefir. So it's, you know, it's not like you're just drinking normal milk, but that can be a saving grace just with the whole dairy concept of uh, if you can get good quality kefir or get into making it yourself, which it's, it's not complicated. Lots of people do it. You can start to gain back some of the benefits that was in the raw milk. Okay. That's a good tip. What about, you know, I know in the store, they, they have options now. It's like, you know, grass fed whole milk, but it's still Mm -hmm. pasteurized, right? A2 milk. What do you think about Mm. A2 milk? And maybe explain to people what, why that's distinctive or different. Yeah. So we are not as huge, I guess, people always talking about the A2, A2 milk. And to be honest, there's a lot of people who could explain it better than us because there's people who get super into that. But uh, pretty much it's, I believe it's a genetic trait with Mm -hmm. certain cows. And you see jerseys tend to be the breed that is most commonly A2, A2. But I believe it affects the protein. And it's just a, it's a, I guess a protein makeup in the milk that makes it easier to digest. Really, the reason we don't know that much about it is because people get really into it if they're extremely sensitive to milk. There's some people who can't even handle all raw milk, and they have to have this variation of raw milk or it's A2A2 proteins in it, and that's the only way their body can accept it. We were never that sensitive to dairy to where we needed A2A2, 
So we just never really went down that, that path of understanding it that much. I don't even, you know, we had some cows in at the farm in Virginia where I, that we milked every day. I'm almost positive they were not A2, A2, but never had any bad experiences with it. There's, yeah, I mean, if someone is super sensitive to milk and you've had raw dairy and it still has not behaved with you, that's probably something to look into more to see if you can get your hands on A2, A2. But I guess also to answer your question about, yeah, grass-fed, grass-finished, or, you know, grass-fed milk, but it's still pasteurized, but it's whole milk in the store. It's just tough because once it is pasteurized, especially like, you know, fully gone through the standard pasteurization process, I mean, you're you're losing, like, it's great that it's grass-fed, but there's really not that much of a saving grace with it anymore, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. all that cool stuff is gone. At that point, I don't know, I guess it's a good source of, of quote-unquote healthy fats, maybe, maybe, but even if it's been homogenized, less so so yeah if if you really can't find anything but the pasteurized store-bought plain jane might might be best to kind of just hold out because i don't know how much nutrition people are really going to benefit from with that Hmm. what is your i'm going to extra hold my breath and cringe here for you what do you think of <laughs> nut of nut milks oh we, we love them we, drink them every day. <laughs> we, we milk our almonds at least twice a day yeah. <laughs> no like we said that's what we went on when we were dairy free and like i remember back in high school and tommy he was the one who's like hey man you know milk pasteurized milk store-bought milk that's you know back then we just thought all milk was like that that's can cause major inflammation and i remember i had really bad acne in high school and that's when I switched to the almond milk to get off of the milk and, you know, back and cleared up great. But it was, again, it was like that honeymoon phase. It was like now looking back at nut milks, I mean, they're all full of, you know, preservatives and the, like the synthetic vitamins that we talked about and like xanthan gum and all that stuff. It's like, I guess it's one step up from store-bought milk, but, you know, not not that big of a difference really. Yeah, there we definitely sympathize why people do it because we were in that boat. But yeah, nut milks are bad. Nut milks are lame for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, there's our scientific answer. They're lame. <laughs> yeah, I just saw somebody say, "Quit calling it nut milk. It's nut juice." Like honestly, they're not. They're not yeah, not mammary animals. Or, yeah, they cannot produce milk. Right. Um, I keep thinking of questions. One more before we get to the anchor questions: Should people be worried about hormones? in milk yeah i mean if, if it's coming from a big dairy that's i guess the same way you know you look at it with meat honestly if it's coming from a big dairy who knows what they're being pumped full of who knows what's in what they're eating and i i guess that's kind of an interesting thing because you could take that back to the potential problem with raw milk which is one of the reasons why they started pasteurizing it was when there was these heinous big uh, slop dairies in started in like the early 1800s and sanitary conditions, awful, non-existent really. And this was, you know, before they started pasteurizing milk. So all milk was raw and people did start getting sick, but I mean, those were extreme conditions of just filthiness and poor animal care. So not that they were necessarily shooting up hormones back then, but that's just a testament to 
theoretically, if you were to get raw milk from a terrible source, um, yeah, that, that could be an issue. But the cool thing is most farms that go through the trouble of selling raw milk, they tend to lean on the better side. I'm sure there's bad examples, of course, and offenders of certain things. But more often than not, raw dairy farms tend to be smaller scale. They tend to care somewhat about what they're eating. Sanitary conditions tend to be pretty good in a lot of them, at least the ones we've seen. So I would really, yeah, just see if you can visit the farm where you're getting your raw milk if people are considering it or concerned about it. If that's a viable option, if it's close enough, a lot of small-scale raw dairies in some capacity will will let you see their operation. And that will kind of give you also a good just feeling about it, a good intuitive feeling about, okay, is does this look clean and, you know, like something that I would want to consume the products of or or not? Yeah, I mean, if you find a raw milk source and you're concerned about it, I'd say 99% of the time you can ask that farmer and say, hey, can I come check out your farm? You know, being a dairy farmer, it's not a part-time job. Like that's, it's a lifestyle. So these people put so much work into it that if they can show it off, you know, they would love to. And if they show it off, obviously they have nothing to hide and will answer all your questions. Um, but yeah, we say to people all the time, farm is such so much work. Like a farmer would probably be like elated to show you, you know, what they're spending their entire day doing every single day. And, ba- and back to the hormone thing, like if you're having, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you have, you know, some in a dish that's got, you know, store-bought milk, like you're not going to drop dead from it. But if you're, I, you don't want that as part of your everyday diet, especially as a kid feeding your kids. You don't want that to be like a staple of their diet because certainly long-term it's going to have effects, you know, rather than just a couple times a year, you have a couple meals that, you know, contain that or you go out to, you know, Dairy Queen, you know, a handful of times a year that you're not going to drop dead immediately. You know, it's nothing to be like terrified or scared of on that scale. Yeah. I think people should be more concerned about like, I'm worried about all these people that have fed their kids or drink soy milk. And it's so oh yeah, like phytoestrogenic and, you know, you just hear about all kinds of problems with that. So don't do that people. If you can't tolerate the milk and you're going to use an alternative, please don't let it be soy milk. That is (laughs) (laughs) definitely not the one to go to. Um, Awesome. Did we, before we kind of wrap up, did we answer everything? Do you think that we talk about everything we need to talk about that you normally, you know, kind of cover with people when they're wondering and curious about raw milk? Did we leave anything out? I don't think so. I think, you know, if someone's interested, curious, you know, start slow, you know, don't go buy a gallon and drink it that night. If, if, especially if you've been dairy free for a long time. And I think one big thing, Tommy kind of alluded to it earlier, but you know, raw milk is healing, right? So if you drink a cup of this raw milk and your stomach kind of reacts weird to it, you know, not all healing is going to be comfortable. You know, when you, you break your leg, you put a cast on it to heal it. That cast is uncomfortable, but it's doing good work. It's, it's, it's healing you. It's fixing you. So I think a lot of people go, oh, well, I had raw milk and, you know, I got a stomach ache. It's like, well, it's probably, you know, your stomach that was a problem and, and not the milk. So, you know, start slow. Even start with a couple sips or put a little bit of cream in your coffee or something. Just kind of if you have that, you know, negative reaction, just kind of slowly build yourself up to it and know that just because you reacted poorly 
doesn't necessarily mean that it's it was bad milk or that you can't digest it. You know, a lot of people have that same problem with like kombucha. They go, oh yeah, I had a kombucha and I was, I drank the whole bottle and, you know, I felt bloated and all, you know, all this. Well, because all that, if you're not used to eating living foods, that your body's going to kind of go into shock. Like, whoa, well, you know, what is all this? And then over time it's going to go, oh, all this is good bacteria. So you have to start slow, see how you feel, take it easy, don't jump in, you know, and 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 get all uncomfortable from eating living foods again. Yeah, I love that, like that's calling it a living food. It is living, it is full of healthful properties for us. And again, this, you know, this God-given food that is available, maybe a little bit harder to find, but worth it for sure when you can Very find it. Very worth so, it. Yeah. So I encourage people to give it a try. Okay. So let's, we're going to wrap up with the anchor questions. I ask all my guests two questions and I'd like each of you to answer um, both of these questions. So first is what is your anchor meal, which is just kind of a go-to healthy meal that you eat often? Well, I'd say for me personally, bacon, eggs, and a glass of raw milk. You really can't, you know, especially on a farm when you've got so many eggs, and, you know, we just, me and my wife just butchered two pigs. So we got plenty of bacon and glass of raw milk. And she makes, you know, she'll make fermented, like, you know, sourdough bread. So it's a piece of toast with some butter on that. It's like that. I could eat that pretty much every day and be a happy man. So that good. sounds amazing. Just classic um, farmer meal. Yep. I would say mine, at least the last few months, it has been, um, well, it was hunting season back in November, right? So we, we loaded up the freezers with venison. And uh, I've just been loving venison. A lot of times just ground venison. Uh, like five or six eggs. Cooking, you know, I've been cooking in ghee a lot, which I really like. And then um, while it's piping hot, just throwing so much cheese on that thing. And it's just like this bowl of venison egg and cheese it, it's a very like male meal you know I, I, I don't know how appetizing any of that sounds like females but and then yeah if uh have that raw milk as a beverage just especially on a cold day coming home doing that that is just euphoric yeah that's one of yeah. these things like it's, it's very relieving that these foods that taste really 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 good can also be nutritious you know so many people are like oh you're one of those health nuts what do you eat a bunch of bird food and cardboard or something it's like no you just eat the the right version of the foods that we inherently love like you'll be you know very healthy very nutritious yeah that that meal made that description made my mouth water a little bit i think that sounds <laughs> so good but i'm a very meat eggs meaty eggs kind of person myself so that sounds amazing to me. Okay, how about an anchor verse, which is a favorite Bible verse, life verse, a verse that's just kind of speaking to you right now? How about that? Uh, I'd say mine is uh, James one nineteen, and I guess it's kind of ironic to say at the end of a podcast, but it's you know slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow. The slow to anger doesn't apply to the podcast, but <laughs> slow to speak, quick to listen slow to anger you know i remember you know first discovering getting into health you just and you know you're into it for a couple months and you think you know everything and you mm. get on your soapbox and these start talking about things you don't know about and that gets you in trouble when you meet someone who does um 
So, you know, slow to speak, quick to listen. You can learn something from everyone. Everyone you meet's got something to say, even if you learn something not to do based on this person's experience. But yeah, I, I really, I really tell that one to myself all the time. Slow to speak, quick to listen, and then slow to anger, obviously. It's, you know, self-explanatory how important that is in life. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. I think slow to anger, even in this space, like you're talking about in the health space and, and that could apply there too, because we could get very, um, defensive and, and, you know, with other people that don't maybe align with our kind of views, you know, that mm-hmm. we have. And right. so it, you sometimes just have to bite your tongue and, you well, know, just. Especially, hmm. you know, when I was younger. So I started working on that farm when I was 20, 19, 20. And I didn't grow up around farming at all. And then I get into this this space and I'm working on, you know, a regenerative agriculture farm. And it's being young, very idealistic. You're like, oh, man, those conventional farmers, these guys are the enemy. You know, they're evil. And then, you know, you, and you get angry at them. Oh, man, they've been messing up our food system, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then you get, you know, experience. And you're like, no, these guys, most of those guys are actually great guys. And you talk to them and they, they're believe they're living off the land they're doing god's work they're feeding the world which is very noble you know maybe misguided sure but gosh there's certainly no reason to be angry at those guys no reason to consider those guys the enemy you know so Mm -hmm. it's just that that slow to anger i think is just so important definitely definitely other anchor verse yes i would say it's in first john i I think it's first john two three where it just he describes that we will know that we know and love the Lord by following his commands. And I mean, it's short, but I I really just think that that sums it up because, you know, not even as far as the food topic, but just as, as Christians, we oftentimes we have so many doubts about even our own faith or just like where we stand and all these things. And it's just such a great thing to bring us back to where it's like, there is going to be fruit, right? And we will know people by their fruit. And we will know that we love him by wanting to follow his commands. And even we'll know that we love him by, um, you know, have a conviction when we don't. And I just think that's that's so powerful because in a world that's like so subjective, right? And we're not allowed to m- make a objective judgment call on anything. That is just like, well, hey, we we will know who our brothers and sisters are because obviously we're all going to stumble and fall short. But at some point there will be that fruit from sanctification of seeing that we are striving to follow his commands and have a love to follow his commands. So that's, that's definitely been a, a big one as of late. That is very beautiful. And I feel like your anchor verse can change day to day. You know? That's true. It's true. It It is true. So that's what I say, like kind of what's speaking to you in the moment, if that's what it is. But thank you both for sharing those. I, I really appreciate hearing that. And I know the audience does too. Tell everybody where they can find you if they would like to connect. And, and I, well, I will tell everybody, they should absolutely follow you on Instagram mm-hmm. because <laughs> I love y'all's Instagram so so much. I love your vibe there. So I know you're on Instagram. Is that your primary place that y'all are? Yeah, yes. As, yeah. as of right now, it's just at raw milk and deadless is the Instagram. And we're looking to expand onto other platforms and, you know, eventually get our own podcast, YouTube channel and all that. But right now it's just on the Instagram. Yep. Yeah. And, and we have a website that is 
linked on the Instagram and that's rawmilkanddeadlifts.com. They could go there as well. Yeah, that's good. I will just, y'all's Instagram, I love looking at it. It's like peaceful and calming and takes you to the simple life and <laughs> it makes makes you want to drink milk and do a deadlift. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time we've been called simple. Sure. Well, no, but it's just like that, you know, you, you encourage people to embrace like the simple things of like, like get some sunshine, get outside, yeah. you know, drink some milk, read your Bible. And I love that. And this is totally off topic, but I'll just, I'd say what I like this too. It's just, y'all are both young men and I just, I love the way that you love the Lord and you put that out there and then just embracing, you know, masculinity and what it is to be a godly man. And that is just so, and so I just commend you. And I'm so glad that you're out there as an example on so many levels. So thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate you having us on. And I got one question. What's, what's your sure. anchor verse? Oh my gosh. Well, that is a good one. Nobody's asked me that. I have, have many, but kind of for what I do here, first Corinthians six nineteen. do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy spirit? Oh, uh, um, yes, 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 yes. Great. You know, you are not your own. That is one that just kind of brings me back again and again to caring for how we all should care for our body as a, a holy vessel. That's our highest health goal, you know, is that we are a holy vessel of Christ. So Thanks for asking. Nobody's even ever asked well, me that back. Well, so so what's your anchor meal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I eat, I mean, I would say eggs. I mean, with whatever that would be. I mean, I eat eggs all the time, sometimes bacon. I just started milling my own wheat and making bread. So oh, all right. That's awesome. And we eat a lot of beef since, you know, I am married to a grass fed cattle rancher. So you are married to John Dutton over there. I- <laughs> Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, he's a little nicer than we're a little less drama, <laughs> little less drama down here than that one. But but yeah, it's very good. Yeah, lots of beef, lots of eggs, some good homemade bread, and see if I could just get me some milk. I feel like mm. I would be like, it would just be superstar time. It all ties it all together. I know, I know. I need a good drink. So anyway. But that's fun. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.